the natty light of judges. All right, now listen everyone, let's keep this horny male energy going till the midterms! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week, we'll be discussing Season 44, Episode 2 of SNL with host Aquafina and musical guest Travis Scott. I'm John Murray, and with me as always is comedy aficionado and all-around swell dude, Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. Okay, so we are light on SNL news this week, so why don't we just jump right into the recap? Here we go. Hold open. CNN goes live to the GOP locker room where party leadership revel in the Kavanaugh confirmation. What'd you think of this one? Ah, I'll be honest. I didn't find it particularly inspired. Okay. I think we've seen this uh, kind of party behind the scenes take as recently as Hillary Clinton celebrating the (laughs) grabber by the (laughs) revelations. It kind of went that same angle. <laughs> I found myself more impressed by Beck's makeup job than anything else, which isn't saying much. Yeah. Well, uh, it's worthwhile to give a little shout out to Louis Zakarian and his team because they are definitely on point with their prosthetics. They're particularly mushy looking this year for some reason. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think they might Palpable. have like a, a better process where they're, they're just getting a bit more life and a bit of stretchiness out of their prosthetics. You don't see them bunching up quite as much. Like they just seem to have a bit more natural bounce. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know what? I think I was probably a little warmer on this than you were. Cause I enjoyed the fact that they took it out of the conventional row of personalities behind a desk or Trump at a podium, like all of those tried and true political setups that they usually have when they have a cable news show throw to the scene. Um, this is a little bit more inventive because there is no, you know, Senate locker room to speak of. Like this is a, a nice mashup of the idea of a post game locker room interview with the victory lap that the Republicans are taking right now. And I thought that that was a good starting point because it kind of frames the Republican leadership sort of in the same Broy frat boy terms as a lot of people see Kavanaugh. So it was mm-hmm. kind of a good way to show that they're sort of all in lockstep and all kind of kindred spirits on this issue. That all felt really good. I don't think they found a lot of funny in it, but I think that they started from a good point at least. So I found it amusing, if not, you know, exceptionally hilarious. Yeah. But taking a beat to focus on like the discomfort mm-hmm. of uh, the CNN journalist being there, that, that also helps with the whole atmosphere right yeah these guys are completely off in their own little world the the they're not being (laughs) cheered outside of their office windows by adoring fans shouting me too like it does kind of show the disconnect of maybe the news media as polite as they're being in the moment how they actually feel about the goings-on uh so yeah there was a lot there i think that this was uh 
fairly weighty in what it was presenting without overtly saying it, which was my big critique last week is that everything was just very blatant and spelled out for you. Whereas this was a premise explored. And I like that. I think that that feels better for a cold open most of the time. We got a pie to the face. Sure. <laughs> it never fails to get a laugh. <laughs> sure. Uh, yes, yeah, so that's pretty much all I have on the cold open. Any other brilliant thoughts before we jump into the show? That'd be it. Great. Let's take a look at the monologue. Aquafina is not a crazy rich Asian. Not really the monologue I was expecting. Okay. Aquafina's whole stick is like, she's a goofball, very high energy mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, a quirky, you know, young millennial. That's her whole vibe. And she was very, this was a very low energy monologue. Mm-hmm. You know, there were some important beats a hit for her, obviously being the first Asian American uh, host in a couple of decades. Right. It, it, it had a somber moment. And I, I, th- I just felt it was a little inconsistent in tone yeah, and didn't really fit the host. Yeah. I think they just went a little too hard for the, the monumental moment of, yes. of the achievement of it rather than the fun of the, the monologue. Yes. Yeah. And I'm not saying they shouldn't have done that, but there's definitely a way to mix in comedy with it. Mm-hmm. I just felt it didn't have much inspiration going on. Yeah. Uh, I was scratching my head a little bit too, because on the one hand, I thought she was perfectly competent, right? Like she didn't fumble. She was able to kind of engage a, an overzealous audience member there at one point, you know, very adeptly. So like she didn't do anything wrong, but I did feel like her energy was a little weird for the material. And it just came off kind of like more of a commencement speech than an SNL monologue. Like it just had a formality to it that didn't just seem right. (laughs) She needed a podium. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It just, it, it, it just had a a different kind of vibe than I was expecting too. So I think that you're touching on some of the elements that maybe just didn't coalesce the way that we would have expected, but for what it's worth, she did it competently. It didn't put me off the show. It just made me say, oh, okay. So that's kind of Aquafina's persona. That's, you know, how she carries herself. Okay. I, I wasn't aware. I guess this is who we're getting tonight. And uh, yeah, it, it didn't wow me, but it didn't really, you know, uh, make me apprehensive or anything. So this is just very much a take it or leave it kind of monologue for me. Yeah. Same. Totally. Fair enough. First live sketch of the night. Tiny Biggs and her crew take their dance skills to the next level by busting moves to classic game show theme songs. <laughs> well, this was fun and silly, but what I found really clever was the reaction of the rival gang actually being intimidated yes. by it <laughs> and taking it a lot more seriously than mm-hmm. obviously we're supposed to as audience members. I think that's what really worked with that. So for a first sketch of the night, I thought this worked really well and I had fun. Yep. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I was watching my wife's reaction to this to see if anyone else was amused by it. And she was, you know, as soon as the the first game show song came on, it really like kind of caught her by surprise and she was all in on it. Sure. So yeah, this got very fun, very quick. As soon as they kind of do that reveal of, oh, okay, no, these guys don't have cred, but in this world, what they're doing has like the most cred. Yeah. <laughs> so I liked it. I thought this was fun. It had me grinning. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't much to it, right? Yeah. But, uh, they did have one last breath of life put into it when they brought out uh, little bang bang. <laughs> oh, with this little T Rex dance. Yes, <laughs> the the arm the arm flips the little fin flips. <laughs> yeah, you know they were basically like, hey, you know, just pretend that your hands are attached to your shoulders mm-hmm. and dance as you normally would. Uh yeah. So Travis Scott was game to participate in a sketch. This is what we got from him. I wasn't really sure how to take it because he puts me off. Like 
the way that he doesn't seem to focus his eyes or like move them. <laughs> there was something just about him coming out and just kind of the way he just moves his body or, or moves his head in particular, just, it felt a little otherworldly. So either That's he what was, I loved about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's your cup of tea, I just, I thought, is this guy high as a kite? Like, why does he not feel quite human to me? Right. And that was like the first thing that sort of pulled me out of the sketch a little bit. Like it was ridiculous. You don't need a lot to maintain your suspension of disbelief because you're already, you know, you already understand this is pure absurdity, but yeah, I just, I don't know how to take him on screen as a, as a performer. Cause he really does kind of just give me the willies. Well, compared to our <laughs> previous musical guest, he came off as put together as Barack Obama, as far as I'm concerned. So sure. he's got that going for him. <laughs> yeah. It's all relative. Uh, let's keep moving here. We've got a pre-tape. Cricket Wireless is the only safe haven from Trump's presidential emergency alerts. That was quite the twist at the end. <laughs> sure. When I heard about the presidential emergency alerts, mm-hmm. uh, like in the news, that was my first thought. Oh, he's just going to use it like Twitter. <laughs> and I, I can't be the only one. It's a pretty, pretty uh, easy connection to make. Right, right. So that part, you know, was kind of low hanging fruit. But the fact that they made a dig at Cricket Wireless at the end, <laughs> that kind of saved it for me. Sure. <laughs> Overall, a half win. It's a fair critique. Yeah, it's a pretty obvious connection to make, but I liked it. I liked it. This was fun, topical, and then had a, a really dumb little twist that caught me off guard. And I think that that works. That's a win. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Moving on. History Channel's Hidden Tales of Egypt explores the invaluable role played by Cleopatra's beauticians. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you could find social modern equivalencies in in the culture of that time and place you know you can come up with funny puns you can come up with uh you know interesting juxtapositions of personality and and stature yeah i mean there's not much more to it than that they came up with some funny lines some funny character bits but uh can't say i was rolling around enjoying this one yeah i can understand that i thought this was okay I thought it was a fun starting point for the sketch. The idea of ancient Egyptian beauticians having the same sort of sensibility as a modern flamboyant stylist. That was kind of a fun thing to explore. And the idea that Cecily is all like stern and uh, like regal at the beginning and very like matter of fact and serious. And then as soon as they kind of start gabbing about fashion, she quickly kind of turns back into uh, like a, a giddy kind of teenage girl, you know, all kind yeah. of like caught up in, Oh, how does this make me look? And Oh, you know, delete that picture. That's so embarrassing. So it, it had some fun beats, but there was something about it that felt a little stilted, like just, um, I think maybe I got to just place it at the feet of Aquafina that maybe there was just a little bit of delay as she's like doing her lines, or maybe she's a little too tied to the cue cards. There was something that just felt a little labored about it. And I feel like that maybe was dragging it down a bit, but otherwise I thought it was fun. It, it wasn't exceptional, but it was fun. Yeah. I mean, it worked for Aquafina. I can see why they'd go for this kind of sketch. Sure. Yeah. Cause she's got the bubbly personality to pull it off. It, it just needed a little more than that. I think. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. So middle of the road on this one. Yeah. Moving on. Ted Cruz's campaign rallies prove that he's tough as Texas. Tough as Texas. Yeah. This guy's really got the Midas touch when it comes to looking cool. eh? Yes. Yeah. It takes a certain skill to not be able to bounce friggin' basketball. (laughs) Yeah. He is all kinds of suave. No doubt. Definitely made a point to say that this guy is very 
out of touch, very uncool seeming. Mm -hmm. I think this had a great message, you know, like just get out there and vote. I mean, if this is the guy that can get voted in, I mean, (laughs) that's gotta be a wake up call if nothing else. Okay. Um, I don't think I read too much into it as far as the political messaging other than just, yeah, he's a wet blanket. And when you take that idea and put it in a pre-tape, you can have a lot more fun with the visual gags because you can get the timing just right of the yeah. ball thudding on the ground or the uh, confetti cannon, you know, just glopping out, you know, confetti crap. You know, you, you can have those moments with a pre-tape. You could not do a sketch like this live. So I think it was fun and appropriately produced. Again, I think maybe the running theme of the night so far, not exceptional. But amusing. I'm having fun. I'm just not really super wowed by anything I've seen so far. Okay. Yeah. Let's take a look at our musical performances. Travis Scott performs a medley of Skeletons and Astro Thunder, accompanied by John Mayer on guitar, Kevin Parker on bass, and as noted by listener Lila2398, Instagram model Giselle Zanotti on the uh, carousel horse (laughs) Um, for his second number. He performs sicko mode. Uh, How are we feeling about Travis Scott? Hey, I, I loved these songs. I love these performances. Okay. Had no idea who he was. And uh, I might've found him a a bit off putting with his grills and all that, just like yourself. Sure. But who can he ever put on a show and not just, you know, the instrumentation and, you know, the, the rapping, singing, whatever, but the set designs, the lighting, everything. It, it reminded me of a, a less crazy Kanye. Okay. And maybe I'm comparing him to Kanye because I just saw him and it's fresh in my memory. But, you know, I have seen Kanye on the show do some really innovative stuff with that stage. Mm-hmm. And this is what premium Kanye was <laughs> sort of like back in the day. So, yeah, I was enjoying this a lot. Okay. High marks for Travis Scott. I definitely was not as warm on it. I thought the first song was just a whole lot of auto-tune nonsense. Uh, I'm really over that. (laughs) I wish auto-tune had never been invented because it just, it always grates on me when a song is like auto-tune end to end. Yeah. So I was not in love with that. The second song, I got to respect the chops, right? Like I got to respect his ability to deliver his lyrics and he was high energy there. You know, he's like back and forth on the stage and he was even pushing a couple samples there at one point. Uh, so as exciting as that is, I can't fault his performance or the set design or, you know, some of the theatrics that they worked in. Mm-hmm. I just uh, wasn't connecting with it and maybe just wasn't, you know, feeling super hot on the show. So I maybe just wasn't really jazzed at this point. And, uh, I, I felt it fell a little flat for me, at least the first song, the second song, I think I was a little warmer on. Why is that? Just cause I, I think technically there was a bit more going on there, at least from him. That's true. Yeah. And that, that's really all I can say about it. Cause you know, I just, I don't really follow his music. So I don't have great insights on kind of what his artistic vision is or really, you know, what he's all about. I can just say from what I saw on stage, uh, first number didn't do nothing for me. The second one I thought was just good, but still overall, uh, wasn't really feeling Travis Scott too much. I felt him. I was touched. Hey guys, I wanted to step out of the cast for just a minute to talk about some of what we've got planned for our coverage of season 44. As some of our listeners may be aware, Mike Bloom and Mario Lanza, formerly of the SNL Funhouse podcast, are coming on board to do a month in review recap show during SNL's off weeks. So our listeners will now be able to enjoy a fresh perspective on the state of SNL anytime there's no new episode for us to review. Additionally, we're working hard on bringing in more guests and producing more bonus casts this season. 
And unlike last year, we're now releasing casts on Tuesday nights instead of later in the week. Bottom line, we are working extra hard to up our game and deliver the absolute best SNL podcast we possibly can. And that's where you come in. Producing this show costs a lot of money. Equipment, software, and hosting fees can add up quick. And Steve Finn does not come cheap. So if you're enjoying our show and appreciate what it costs to get it to you each week, then we hope you'll consider supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash SNL podcast to show us some love. You can pledge as little as $1 a month, and if you're able to help out more, then we have a slew of great rewards to offer, including early access to an ad-free version of each new cast on Mondays immediately after we record. These member-only Rough Cut versions include roughly 20 minutes of additional discussion that gets cut from the final episode. So if you like the show and you want to hear more of it sooner, then please consider supporting us on Patreon, like Mark from San Diego, California, who is one of our wonderful NBC page patrons. Mark, thank you so much for your support. All right, back to the show. Weekend update. For their lead-in, Jost and Che tackled the divisive confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh. So how are you feeling about Jost and Che's opening salvo this week? I thought it was pretty good. I mean, you got to come out swinging at something like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, This very polarizing piece of news in the headlines. And it was only, you know, the day before, basically. Right. So I thought for... uh, for how quickly they had to turn around some of that material. It worked really well. I like Che's stuff about, you know, the possible uh, Stockholm syndrome of these uh, <laughs> five women that voted in his favor. Yeah. <laughs> there was some good stuff going on. And uh, yeah, obviously the crowd was uh, ready to talk about it from the booze. Sure. I don't think I've ever heard Donald Trump booed like that on the show. So it's clearly connecting. Uh, yeah, obviously a lot of emotion in the room. If uh, people can't restrain themselves in the moment. Um, I felt like Jost and Che, uh, I think they were feeling very passionate about the material that they were delivering. There's a lot of weeks where they're having fun in the moment and it really is just about, can we make this joke land? This felt like we've got some pointed things to say, so we're going to go a little heavier on like clapter jokes. Like we're going to make a point and the audience is going to enjoy it because they're as passionate about these issues as we are or feel similarly. Um, so I feel like there was a lot of that going on, which obviously is not <laughs> rare on weekend update these days. Um, but just a lot of it, you could tell that this was emotionally charged material and it was just being felt all around. So, uh, that makes for compelling weekend update. I don't know if it makes for the absolute funniest weekend update, but I was still enthralled with what I was seeing here. Yeah. Not the funniest, but Held my attention. Yeah. And that's not to say they didn't have some really good stuff. They definitely did. Uh, We've just seen funnier last week and then, you know, late in last season where they just really had the whole house just thunderous (laughs) kind of reactions. This was a little bit more serious in tone just because of the nature of the week. And sometimes you feel that. And that's kind of the cool thing about Weekend Update is that uh, when they're doing their job, they can kind of capture that. You can sort of feel it in the house. Sure. They did make it work. Yeah. How did we feel about our first feature? Eric and Donald Trump Jr. are back for the first time this season to discuss stumping for Republicans ahead of the midterm elections. Yeah, it's great to see my old friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, Definitely wanted uh, more of them as I waited for more SNL over the break. So I got what I asked for. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, uh, I don't want to see them quite as frequently as we did the last season or two. As much as I love these guys, you know, they're starting to show... (laughs) The seams yep. kind of giving way here. Yeah, they're still uh, hitting the same kind of beats with this. And 
they are finding new things to fill in those mad lib blanks, mm-hmm. but uh, the formula is starting to age, I think. Yep. But, oh, Eric, just the sheer <laughs> energy that comes out of these performances, I almost don't mind that it's showing its age because it still gets me every time. Sure. I agree entirely. I think we are at peak Eric and Donald Jr. I think that we've seen the best of it, but that's not to say it's played out. It's still good for a laugh, even if the originality just can't be there anymore. We know exactly what we're going to see. He's always going to get a toy. He's always going to misinterpret something that his dad says and, you know, blurt it out at the most inopportune time. We know what we're going to see, but when we see it, it's still fun. And if I see it two more times this season, I'm okay with it. (laughs) I was thinking that three in a season is a perfect number. Yep. There you go. Uh, Moving on for our second feature, Pete Davidson discusses Kanye West's unplanned post-show speech. Did we want to see Pete back two weeks in a row? How are we feeling about Pete? I think so. Yeah. I don't mind that we're getting two for two for Pete because he's spit fire both times. Great. Yeah. Loved his Kanye rant. <laughs> and uh, I didn't really notice his whole reaction behind uh, Kanye when the whole speech was going on. But right. yeah, I definitely saw Colin's discomfort <laughs> in the moment. Yes. So this definitely had to be talked about. Mm-hmm. Pete made a good point. Him being the crazy one of the cast can definitely relate to it. And yeah, it just boiled down to, hey, Kanye, you know, don't be ashamed of your meds. You know, it's okay to take them. Yeah. We'd prefer you to be on your meds. <laughs> I think I think they went the best way with using Pete to talk about this because Pete can actually, right. you know, elicit some kind of emotional response from the audience. And uh, yeah, he's done a lot for the whole respect for mental illness. And uh, this definitely helped. Yeah. I think they um, they found a really good playful tone. Yeah. They obviously needed to address it. The show doesn't want anyone to presume that anyone that was on the stage that night automatically endorses Kanye's sentiments. So I'm sure that the entire cast and writing staff were very keen to want to figure out some way to present it. And uh, I think Pete Davidson was as good a vehicle as any. This doesn't feel as much like Pete material as it does just sort of like Pete delivering a message on behalf of the cast. Like it, it, mm-hmm. it isn't quite as slack and... I don't know, just random as some of the directions that he goes with, with his material. Uh, it was a little more focused, but in a good way, it, it made some sharp points and made them very well. So I'm glad that uh, it came together as well as it did. Cause it can get very uncomfortable to address the real controversies surrounding the show. Yeah. So to be able to laugh along with it and walk away feeling like, yep, okay, that's settled. We can all just wash our hands of it now. And that was fun. Uh, felt like a big win. I, I thought this was pretty well done. Yeah. Back half of the show. We get a live sketch. So you're willing to date a magician. Yeah. I I got a little nervous seeing Leslie playing the host. We all know how fragile she could be when it comes to breaking and flubbing lines. So for her to be kind of steering the ship as the game show host, I didn't know what to expect. I was a bit nervous. And yeah, she did a couple of Leslie type things. She couldn't really hold it together. Maybe that was the whole point. They realized they needed a little something extra because Let's face it, this was a pretty bland sketch overall. So maybe they just said, hey, let's throw Leslie in there to just laugh at the goofiness of the whole spectacle. Could be. But it just felt a little messy overall. Yeah. I don't think that there was any kind of like calculated, we need someone to break up the sketch. I think that it was just simply Keenan was one of the magicians, so he can't be the host. And he's kind of their de facto game show host. So uh, they needed to slate someone in there. I don't know why they went with Leslie, <laughs> but most of their best performers were part of the magician side of the sketch. So maybe she was just the best they had at that point. 
Yeah. I thought that this was really funny in concept and exceptionally poorly executed by a couple of the critical players, Pete Davidson, Leslie and Aquafina all seem to really continue to just drag the sketch down and, and kill the energy. And then you have Alex and Heidi and Kyle Mooney to a large extent too, bringing it back and trying to buoy it. And then you get another flub or, you know, another awkward delivery of something. And there was just nothing they could do to kind of keep the energy to the end of it. So right. I felt like in more capable hands, this could have been a big win because I, I like the material. I like the writing in it. I just didn't like how it was executed. Fair enough. Yeah. Keaton, I think was the MVP of this particular sketch. Okay. Just the realization of the character, the fact that he needed everything back. <laughs> yes. Once the prestige was revealed. Yeah. But definitely a mess, like you said, but, uh, it's live TV, isn't it? It is. But as much as like Pete maybe looks like David Blaine in a kind of weird way, he just can't hold this kind of material together. He just doesn't have that ability. And you put him and Leslie in anchor roles in a sketch. And what do you expect to happen? Maybe they were going for break and maybe your conspiracy theory is right. Maybe they said this is going to be a hot mess. We might as well just have fun with it. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, well, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Let's not dwell on it. Let's keep moving here. We get another live sketch. Carrie invites her dog walker, Didi to her friend's baby shower. Yeah. Let's have more of that. More of these types of sketches. <laughs> okay. I, I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. I'm, I'm being completely facetious. <laughs> I just thought this was an absolute train wreck. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what it was a Frankenstein of, of a sketch. Like the whole concept was hardly explained. Like there was no real premise to latch on to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just, let's have Aquafina act like a complete weirdo basically. And then we'll give a throwaway line to Leslie Jones to finish it off. Like, what was this? Uh, This was not great material. That's what this was. Uh, Again, my running theme. We had a lot of great premises for sketches or a lot of great starting points. Like, there wasn't much of a premise to this. But Cecily's character of the, like, high-maintenance, codependent, train wreck friend. Mm -hmm. That's a great starting point because Cecily is fantastic in those kind of roles. So I love that. And the idea that she's kind of glommed onto her dog walker as sort of her like emotional support. And the dog walker is just as invested in the relationship and is there to like be her life coach and her champion to, to, you know, clear the path and clear all the haters out. There was a lot of fun in that notion, but the sketch that they tried to weave it into was another hot mess of awkward deliveries, bad timing, the really uncomfortable moments of Aquafina derailing the baby shower, but not in a fun way, just in a like uh, hard to watch kind of way, you know, as she's ripping down the sign, it's just taking too much screen time for it to be funny. There was just a lot that really was hard to watch surrounding some really fun, brilliant moments from Cecily. Yeah. I'm starting to sweat now. just thinking about it. <laughs> yes. But, before we move off of this, I just got to applaud Cecily for being the master of damaged women. Like a lot of what she brings to the show are these train wreck characters and she can just sell that so well. Like she just really gets in the moment. You, you feel the, you know, the emotion and the just fragility of the person's psyche just coming out on screen. And there's, there's real performance there. And I love that Cecily has that ability. I just wish they could have given her a more cohesive vehicle to put that forward. Totally. All right, moving on. Get another pre-tape. The employees at a family pumpkin farm fess up to performing lewd acts on the pumpkins. Here's a 
bizarre little outing. Yeah. <laughs> Break it down. What did you think of this one? Well, uh, well, I mean, that's <laughs> not a situation that any employer wants to have to deal with. You know, it's definitely not a fire anyone wants to put out, mm-hmm. especially when it's your son-in-law, <laughs> which was a great reveal at the yeah, end. Spoiler yeah. alert. I like what they did with it. This was kind of a uninspired premise that was elevated by good character choices and good performance from Beck and Kyle. Yeah. I loved their, their failed attempts at uh, being, you know, having a professional diplomatic yes. tone to yes. their language, but just not, you know, the mental capacity to really, really think about what they're actually saying and, and deciding to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. Other than just Beck and Kyle hamming it up, this was kind of a weak premise and the, the feel good ending was a little <laughs> tacked on, which maybe was part of the joke itself, but yeah, I, it was fun, but not, not brilliant. Okay. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. I <laughs> okay. thought it was brilliant. I think the more that I watch this one, the more that I love it. I think it is so hilarious that these kids who have absolutely no capacity to make good life choices have all of the decorum and earnestness to communicate with their boss in a totally like respectful and appropriate manner. When he brings us to their attention, they're not like so put off that they're denying it vehemently beyond all reason. Right. They're not like acting like immature in their, the way that they're trying to handle the situation. They're just like, you know, enough of these lies we're fessing up. It was us, but can we have a moment to explain how this came about so that, you know, maybe we can work through it. Like that's just a very, like an HR rep would be so happy to see an employer employee, uh, interchange like this, <laughs> you know, like it, yeah. it all felt so appropriate, but the actual situation that led to it is so inappropriate that the whole conversation could never happen in real life. It would just be so, uh, shaming and damning. And there's no way that a boss would keep his cool. It's just, it was just so far afield from how this would have played out in real life that I thought that that aspect of it was really brilliant. And I love that at the end, they show that the boss is not an unreasonable man. You know, he feels for them. He's doing what he has to do as a good employer, but he also, you know, has affection for these kids. So he's going to send them off with all the pumpkins they could ever need to (laughs) satisfy these, um, increasingly overwhelming emotions that they're feeling for these pumpkins. (laughs) I'm sorry. I think that is great. I'm amazed that they got to so many fun places with such a ridiculous starting point. I I thought it was great. I'll give them that. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Uh, But there's only so much you can say about pumpkin sex. So let's talk about our 10 to one sketch. Debet Goldry returns yet again to the New York film festivals, women's round table. Did we want to see Debet Goldry again? No, we didn't. Mm hmm. But we did. Yeah. And it was standard Debet Goldry material. Mm-hmm. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. It's uh, an average sketch that is more recurring than it should be. They didn't do anything special with it. You know, it got me some laughs at uh, being framed for party murders <laughs> and cigarette naps. Yes. Yeah. If, if you like Kate and you like just seeing her ham it up, this is the sketch for you. Mm-hmm. But if you want to see risks taken, if you want to see uh, original material, well, then you're probably turning off the TV a little early. Fair enough. Uh, this sketch, I don't know if it's really aging well, because it premiered before kind of the floodgates opened on the whole Me Too, Harvey Weinstein stuff. Right. And 
they've had a couple outings since that's all blown up and they haven't quite figured out how to say anything poignant about the whole matter with it. And it seems like this should be their vehicle to be able to really do that and, and come up with something smart. But because she's from a bygone era where women were oppressed and abused even more than they might be in modern Hollywood, it like almost says the opposite of what the me too movement would want to say, because it's kind of saying, Hey, you guys have actually come pretty far and you got it pretty good compared to what they had 50 years ago. So what are you complaining about? It, it almost says that without saying it. Yeah. And I just find that kind of interesting that the world's changed around this sketch. And so it's lost a lot of its luster because you can't really just embrace the message as easily as you could have a couple of years ago. Yeah. And when this first came out, the whole point of contention was, uh, salary disparity exactly male yeah. and female actors a simpler time <laughs> yeah but now we're downplaying something a little bit different and whoo that could be uh that could be a little tone deaf yeah so these are far less trivial times with a sketch that hasn't managed to adapt or find a new voice yeah and uh it just doesn't come off quite as fun for me and that in addition to the fact that we've had so many outings now that it's a little stale, they just don't yeah. have as many fun places to go with it. So, uh, this didn't wow me. How could it? Mm-hmm. And that kind of summed up the show as a whole, as far as I'm concerned, but Ooh, let's, yeah. uh, not rush our ratings here. Let's get into it. Moment of the night. I'm going with little bang, bang <laughs> and his repetitive circular T-Rex dancing. I loved it. I love the, the look on his face. I love, you know, the timing of when he came out and, uh, the fact that it was a cameo of a pretty thugged out dude kind of having fun with himself. It was all very sweet and, and enjoyable. So that's, that's my moment. Yep. Uh, fair enough. I think the true moment of the night is probably the cricket wireless reveal. I think that that's like the moment where people just kind of like stopped and said, Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Fun punchline. Like that, that really surprised me. So as much as I think that's the right answer, I'm going to go with the moment in the pumpkin patch sketch where uh it's beck or kyle for the first time it shows the pov from their perspective and they're fixated on the pumpkin that to <laughs> them is just alluring and irresistible that <laughs> that just really had me laughing so i don't know if that's truly the moment of the night but it's certainly the one that had me grinning so i'm, I'm gonna go with that sure cool best sketch it's not saying much because i wasn't hot on the whole episode but uh i think that first sketch with the dance off. Okay. You know, this is the kind of material I was expecting with a host like Aquafina, and I knew she could sell this silly stuff really well mm -hmm. and I wasn't wrong. So this was uh, a sketch I felt that was clever enough and enjoyable enough and uh, made the right calls on a few things. So it wasn't the best sketch, but it was the best sketch of the night, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think I, I think I'm tracking that. So it's not just the best sketch in the world ever in general, but for maybe a lackluster show, this was passable. Yeah. Okay. It's not the best sketch, but it is the best sketch. <laughs> sure. I get how, yeah. How I said that might be confusing, but what, yeah, you, you pretty much got it. I gotcha. I gotcha. Uh, yeah, it was definitely some of the stronger material for the night just because it was fun. Purely fun, not super smart, but a lot of fun. There's a reason why they bumped it up to the top of the show. And obviously that's because it played really well in dress and with good reason. So I can respect it. I'm going with pumpkin patch. I think that that was just the best writing. Some of the best visual jokes of, you know, 
point of view erotic pumpkin mode. Uh, there was just a lot in that sketch that I thought was really funny and off the wall and just was working for me. So that's mine. Yeah, that's a good pick. Cool. MVP. I think this is a Beck Bennett uh, <laughs> victory. You know, he started strong with that great um, Mitch McConnell impression. Uh, he did Ted Cruz. He was a big part of the uh, of the pre-tape that you love so much, the mm-hmm. pumpkin patch. Yeah, he had a lot to do, and um, everything he did was one of the better parts of that sketch. So I think he's the guy to give it to. All right. I was going to go with Cecily because I just think that her performance abilities, even in a weird sketch, uh, sometimes just are so apparent that they have to be applauded, but you know what? You won me over. You're right. Beck had some of the medias material and he did really good with everything that he had, particularly in the pumpkin patch sketch, his portrayal of the earnest, uh, pumpkin miscreant was really kind of sharp just the way that they were carrying themselves all kind of like sheepish and remorseful. It was just the right pitch for those characters. So him and Kyle both did really good there, but yeah, he was ever present in a lot of the other materials. So, Hey, that's good enough for me. Back Bennett. It is. There you go. On a scale of classic, great, decent week or train wreck. How would you rate this episode? Oh, dare I do it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you do what you got to do, man. I'm not going to sway your vote. All right. I think I got to give this one a train wreck. I thought about giving it a week just because I enjoyed Travis Scott. Mm-hmm. But uh, when Kevin Hart hosted with uh, Foo Fighters, that didn't stop me from giving that a week, even mm-hmm. though I love the Foo Fighters. So if I'm going to be consistent, you know, judging by the sketches, the, the material of the show, the performances, I think we got a train wreck here. Okay. You know, obviously I was not as hot on the cold open as you were. I thought the monologue was a failure. I thought the 10 to one was uninspired. A lot of the sketches relied too much on wackiness and quirkiness than real solid material. So, uh, there's just too many red flags popping up to give this anything but a train wreck. And I apologize. (laughs) Okay. Uh, well you backed up your opinion with some cogent points and I am going to respect it. We've never handed out a train wreck on this show. And I'm actually kind of surprised that this is the one that puts you over the edge. Cause to me, this was not a great show by any stretch. This was pretty lackluster. Even the, the best material of the night felt very middle of the road. There wasn't anything that just really knocked me over with the exception of that pre-tape. I thought that pre-tape was really fun. The rest of it was all very middle of the road, if not a couple bottom out moments like the uh, baby shower sketch. So, so it's a classic. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So I feel that this is squarely a weak episode. I don't think it's a train wreck because I had some fun with it. There was a lot of premises for sketches that I thought had merit and were setting the table really well. And then just really had some fumbly execution, dragging them down. But, there was still something there that I at least want to applaud in some of the writing and, and some of uh, where they were trying to get. So this show didn't get there. This was a weak show, but I don't think it was quite a train wreck. If we can give Felicity Jones a pass and say that that was a squarely weak episode. I don't think that this one is worse than that. one. I think that this is just plain and simple weak. Hey, well, even those Felicity Jones type episodes had things working for it that this one, unfortunately didn't <laughs> okay. in my mind. All right. There is a difference. And and yeah, I think I would double down on my week for episodes like that and my train wreck for something like this. 
Okay. Uh, quick program note before we head out tonight. I am looking for a new co-host. So if anyone feels that Whoa! they can Whoa! bring a little bit of positivity to the cast and a more measured uh, critique of the show, by all means, send your resumes to snlafterparty.fm. Yeah. Steve is out. Anyone else is in? <laughs> <laughs> Non-sycophants need not apply. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, that's where we land. So uh, it is what it is. We have handed out our first train wreck. Uh, I'm I'm feeling a little a little sad in my heart, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take this in stride and assume that this doesn't reflect on the season as a whole. I think we were just in a situation with maybe a, a host with limited range and coming off a premiere where everyone probably was pooling their best into that. Maybe they just didn't have a whole lot to bring to the show this week. I can't wait to get called a racist. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're going to take it on the chin. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what the listeners have to say, but uh, you know, we got to be true to our feelings here. And if that's where we land, that's where we land. Uh, you got anything else you want to say before we head out? I already lost my job. I've said enough. <laughs> All right. That's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Jonathan Jordan, and Aaron and Trader. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Seth Meyers and musical guest Paul Simon. Until then, this has been episode number 56 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. But like Kanye, I know you're like, yo, this is the real me. I'm off the meds. <laughs> Take them. There's no shame in the, in the medicine game. I'm on them. It's great. Take them. There's nothing wrong with take them. If I ever got on a plane and the pilot said, I just want all you to know, this is the real me flying. <laughs> I'd jump out. <laughs> Being mentally ill is not an excuse to act like a jackass. Okay? I'm quoting, I'm quoting my therapist, my mom, and my mailman. <laughs> Sorry, Carl. Uh, but no, seriously, one time I stopped taking my meds and I bit my mom. No, it's all good. I bought her a house. <laughs> all right, so is there anything Kanye can do to win you back? Yeah, uh, there is. And I'll tell you in a way that Kanye understands. I made this. Uh, make Kanye 2006 again. <laughs> <laughs> Pete Davidson, everyone. And drop that album. Where's that album? Oh,